Please turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. 7 through 16. It's a passage among others we could have read that reflects on God's love and as our Father, very important for us. 1 John 4, 7 through 16. And following that, we'll sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we, we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. It's been a while since we've been in the Heidelberg Catechism. And we began with that wonderful uh, question and answer that begins this catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood is fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must be subservient to my salvation and therefore by his Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. A wonderful reminder. What do we need to know to be able to live and die with this comfort? Well, we need to know our sin and misery. We need to know how to be delivered from our sin and misery. We need to know how to be grateful to show God gratitude for that deliverance. So we're working on understanding uh, how we can be delivered from our sin and misery. And where we are in the catechism after having uh, introduced the the Trinity, the triune God, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it introduced us to the Apostles' Creed. And now it's going to work through the different elements of the Apostles' Creed as it reveals to us the uh, character of God. Uh, it, each person of the Trinity is going to get its attention on their character and their work. And today it's on that first phrase I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. A variety of ways to look at the 
answer here to this question. Uh, Kevin DeYoung lists seven different doctrinal truths that he gleans from it. I want to direct your thoughts to it in this way. Uh, We're looking at God our Father and under two categories or two thoughts. First, he is the God and Father to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, he is a father to you. And he is a father to me. And these two truths fill out the answer to that question, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And so the answer tells us that he's the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the eternal father of, the, of, of our Lord and Savior. And it reveals to us the, 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 the Trinity and the existence of the triune God eternally, that he was always in one God in three persons, and that from all eternity they enjoyed the bliss of that relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was never a time when the Father wasn't the Father to the Son. There was never a time when the Son wasn't the Son to the Father. There was never a time when the Holy Spirit wasn't intimately in relationship with both the Father and the Son. That's the nature of God, the the triune nature of God from all eternity. And we have along with that, along with that expression, it would be an affirmation too as well of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be a reminder that there was never a time when the Son was not God. There was never a time when uh, Christ was something less than God. He, was, he has been God forever. And so it underscores his deity as well as underscoring the relationship within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's very significant. That's the Father. That's a description of him, his, his character as Father. And it describes him and defines him in a way that, as Kevin DeYoung says, is essential, uh, irreducible, and eternal. But then after having given us the statement that he's the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then he goes on, the answer goes on to explain some of what he has done, specifically creating the world and sustaining the world. And it's interesting that these two truths that's described about God the Father uh, parallel very well our own uh, catechism in the shorter catechism, and if you would turn in the back of your hymnals to page eight hundred and sixty-nine, uh, it's a. Uh, you can see how these confessional writers all embraced the same truths and understood Scripture similarly. <clears throat> and we begin with question seven, which the question is on page eight sixty-nine. The answer. On 870, what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Then question eight, how doth God execute his decrees? God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence. You see, there's the parallel. 
Now, just to continue reading a few more questions. What is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. And so the writers of the Westminster Confession, paralleling what... um, Zacharias or Sinus penned for us in the Heidelberg Catechism is he's the father, he's the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what are some of what he did? The first thing it mentions is that um, he he made of nothing uh, heaven and earth and all that is in them. God created the world out of nothing. The Latin phrase ex nihilo. It affirms that before this world was created, there was nothing material. There was something or someone that was God. He existed, the spiritual, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient being. But there was no material world. Before that, it was God and God alone. And he created all things out of nothing. And all that he created heaven and earth and all that is in them. Uh, Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of of things that are visible. Uh, It was the mighty word of God that commanded things into being and they came into being. (laughs) Psalm 33.6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. So God commanded it, and it was so. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you'll you'll remember that in some other passages, the other members of the Godhead are involved in creation. For example, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. And that has confused some people. Well, is it God the Father creating? Is it God the Son? And then we know the Holy Spirit was involved. He was hovering over the waters at the moment of creation. Who is it? Well, it's all of them. Uh, there are all three members of the Godhead are involved in the creation of the world. But it does seem in Scripture that uh, in, in one sense, a bit of the emphasis does come on God the Father as the creator, but it's God creating the world and all members of the Trinity were a part of that. But here the focus on the Father is that he made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. But the other thing that he highlights uh, about that is, this answer highlights is, and uh, by his eternal, excuse me, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence. God not only created the world, but he sustains the world. Our world could not continue to to exist for one moment without the providential sustaining power of Almighty God. You would not be able to take another breath if it was not for the 
providential sustaining power of God. The blood would not flow through your veins. The sun would not shine. Our earth would collapse in, in, uh, in, in, in freezing if it were not for God sustaining this creation that he's made. And in Psalm 36, 6, he says, your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. Oh, Lord, you preserve both man and beast. Uh, turn to Hebrews 1, 3. We're going to be in Hebrews for a couple passages. Here it's reflecting on the son and the glory of the son, which he shares with the father as a member of the Godhead. But in Hebrews 1, 3, focusing particularly on him, says the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, the, the, the truth that God created out of nothing, this world, uh, puts to naught dualism. There is no sense of equality between the created world and God. He made it. There is no other power like him. It puts to shame pantheism or thwarts pantheism, any kind of sense of Deity or godness in the created world is, a, is foolishness. God created all things. They come from his hand. They have no inherent authority and power in themselves. We loosely talk about mother nature, but there is no mother nature. There's God, the divine creator and the sustainer. And the fact that he sustains by his providence this world puts to naught the thoughts like deism who taught that God created the world and let it go on its own. No, God is intimately involved in all aspects of the world that he created. And what's significant about that for you and for me is for us to realize how much we have to be thankful for. That all we have is come from the hand of God are living in this world. Our experiences of the blessings of this world uh, is part of God superintending all things. Now we get frustrated by things that go on in this world. We get disappointed. We have lots of negative reactions to things in this world. But you and I need to appreciate the fact that all this comes from the hand of God. And he is ruling over all things to, to carry out his will. We don't always understand that, but we have to appreciate and be filled with gratitude to God that he's ruling over all of these things for our good and his glory. So are you disillusioned at something in your world? Do you feel like God's somehow forgotten you or gone off? Maybe you're going through a particular difficult time. And you wonder where in the world of God is. Well, we're going to hear more about where he is. But he's sustaining all things by the word of his power. He has not abandoned you. He is not somehow distant. But he is intimately concerned with all the affairs that are going on in the world that he created.
God is the father, the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is also the father of you. And it's it's extremely important line of truth that this answer to this question uh, puts us, takes us along. He says here, for the sake of Christ, and we'll come back to that in a minute, for his son, he's my God and my father. It's not that he's some God, some father out there, but the purpose and the goal of this catechism of the word of God is to drive you to faith and a knowledge and a relationship with God so that you can say yourself, he is my God and he's my father. And you're able to do that because of his son. For the sake of his son, it's because of Christ that you're able to say, he's my God and he's my father. There's an old liberal slogan that went, the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. And only if we understand those things in a very general way of, well, God's the creator and we're all under him and we're all accountable to him. So in that sense, you know, we're, we belong to him, but that's not what they were trying to say with that phrase. They were saying to, trying to say God is the spiritual father of everybody and everybody's a Christian. And that's not the case. Uh, God is Lord over all and everyone's accountable to him. And in a general sense, he's uh, the father of them as the creator of them. But it's only through Christ that he becomes my father and my God. It's only by grace that we know that. It's only by grace that we have that relationship. If you happen to still be in Hebrews, look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. <clears throat> in bringing many sons to glory, that's you, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an amazing thing? Uh, Let the wonder of that kind of sink down in your heart. Other people in this earth probably very wrongly would might be ashamed of you, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not ashamed to say you're his brother or you're his sister. It's an amazing act of grace. In verse 12, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here, I ha- here am I and the children God has given me. We can call God my God and my Father by grace because of Christ. He is my God and my Father because of his Son, Jesus Christ. And it's uh, the, the privilege of adoption 
which comes to us not because we have a right to it, but because we've been given it by grace. Uh, In John 1, the world was made by Christ, but the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. But to whoever who receives him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God, born not of the natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's your right. And so because of grace, because of the spirit of adoption you've been given, you get to say, Abba, Father. What an intimate, loving relationship you have with this mighty God, with this Father. But the answer goes on to point out something very important for us. Not only is he my God and my Father, but it goes on to say, on whom I rely so entirely. God is, your father is someone on whom you can rely entirely, completely, with all every fiber of your being. Uh, And you rely on him in two ways in particular. It says here that he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body. God will provide all that you need. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 6 for a moment where Jesus recounts this for his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. We won't read all of it, but let's read a little bit of it. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown tomorrow, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Your father is someone on whom you can rely. He will provide you all things necessary for your body and soul doesn't mean we won't go through challenging times, but the Father is one on whom we can absolutely rely. And the second thing he tells us about how we can depend on him or in what way we can depend on him, I have no doubt that he'll provide all I need for his soul and body. He continues, or and that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. The Bible is not naive about suffering. It never tells you that you won't experience grief in this world. Jesus promises that in this world you will have trouble. But don't be afraid, I've overcome the world. So we have the promise of God in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
Now, how in the world do you know and have confidence that that's going to be true? How does it work to be good? You're going through an experience. You think, how in the world is that going to turn out for good? Well, the beautiful thing about this answer is he gives us two reasons why we can have absolute confidence in that promise. This is how you know you can have absolute confidence that God will turn even the evil things in your life in this valley of tears, this sad life, to your advantage. Well, the first is because he's able to do it, being God Almighty. You know, parents love their children and they want the best for their children and they work hard to try to accomplish that. But we're human and we're limited and sometimes we can't. Sometimes we're not able to do it. But here we're reminded that God is able because he's almighty. He's able to keep that promise because he's the mighty God. He can do and keep his promise. And the, uh, the angel said to Sarah when she was kind of scorning that she was going to have a child in a year, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, turn to Romans 8, 31. We're reminded in this passage of the ability of the Lord. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans eight thirty one, it says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Um, And we'll skip down to verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do you know that God's promise is true? Because he is able to keep it. He is almighty. Nothing will thwart God from accomplishing his will, accomplishing his purposes for you. But the second thing that the answer reminds us of, and also because he is willing, being a faithful father. It's a pitiful God who is almighty, uh, omnipotent, but he has no interest in you. What a pitiful situation that would be. He can do anything he wants to do, but he can't. But he has no concern or interest in helping me. But the other side would be just as pitiful. What if God had this great desire to help us, but he couldn't do anything about it? We'd be just helpless. And the two truths here are such wonderful encouragements for us. God can provide us all things needful for body and soul. He can turn whatever evil events in our lives to to our advantage. Why? Because he is able and because he is willing. He desires to do that. 
He is, he is desirous of helping because he is a faithful father. Jesus in Matthew 7 talks about the comparison between an earthly father and a heavenly father. What father on earth, if his son asks him for a piece of bread, will give him a stone? Well, it's absurd. No one would. What father, an earthly father, even though he's evil, if his son asks him for uh, some meat to eat, will give him a snake? Well, nobody would, no father would do that. Even an evil father wouldn't do that. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? God's promises are sure because he is able and he is willing. And we as parents desire for our children, the best for our children, want that to be provided for them. And the thing we most, as I talk to the children, desire most for them is for them to trust in God, to believe in him, to follow him. And so before us all comes the same question, do we trust God? Do we follow him? Do we depend on him entirely? He's God our Father. He's my God and he's my Father. Is he your God and your Father? May you and I follow him in faith and in hope and in confidence. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the the wonder of your love. Thank you for the truth of your glorious character. Help us to trust in you with all of our hearts and so live each day as those who know that you are heavenly father uh, you are sustaining all things by the word of your power and that you will provide for us what we need and you will turn all the evil events to our advantage thank you for being our wonderful heavenly father and uh, we pray for your help in believing and trusting in Jesus' name. Amen.